Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read through them, pray, go back and talk about them. Uh, you know, it's some a little bit more than others, but the one that I really want to land on is verse 2, talking about the law of Christ. Because I think it's a great kind of summary as we're bookending from chapter 1 to chapter 6 here. This is really what he's been dealing with. It's the law of Christ. There's the old Mosaic law. There's the law of Moses, which is what the Galatians were struggling with. They were trying to become sort of some sort of hybrid of the old and the new. They're trying to mix oil and water. Both are great by themselves, but they're kind of not great when you mix them together. And so they're trying to make put uh, uh, you know new wine into old wineskins and old cloth onto new cloth, and and the Galatians were getting confused. And it's really the devil really doesn't have a whole lot of new tricks. He kind of does the same thing today. He tries to confuse Christians. You know, a little bit of Moses, a little bit of Jesus, and right, it's all the Bible. And that, so we, when we don't rightly divide the word, we get divided. And so Paul had really been dealing with this uh, to, at great lengths, six chapters worth. And he used dif- different illustrations in different ways. Uh, but let's kind of read through it, and then we'll get into it. Brethren, verse 1, meaning Christians. If a man or woman, if anyone's overtaken in any trespass, a fault, a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, pull the beam out of your own eye before you go around inspecting everyone's splinters, right? So he says, we'll bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's almost going to seem like a contradiction here because then he's going to talk about bearing your own burden. And we'll talk about that because there's burdens that we bear together and then there's burdens that only you could bear alone. It's not a contradiction. There's just different burdens. In fact, the Bible uses this. uh, The word, the the rendering for burden is used 11 different ways uh, in the New Testament. So verse 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but lead, let each one examine his own work, why we do what we do, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. This is basically teaching the church, you know, about how to take care of the ministry. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, of his flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows uh, to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This isn't a saved or lost thing. This is really, you have everlasting life in you if you're a Christian. And if you walk in the Spirit, you'll reap the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness. We studied that uh, last week or the week before. But if you sow to the flesh, the only thing that comes from the flesh, whether it's good-looking flesh or ugly-looking flesh, is death. And sometimes it takes us longer to figure that out. Other people have different levels of tolerance, you know? So he says, um, don't be deceived about that. Another way to say this, it's not like God's version of karma, but it it almost kind of seems like that. What comes around goes around type of idea. You reap what you sow. You put corn in the ground. uh, You're going to get corn. 
And so the, this, this just kind of his idea with that. And let us not grow weary, verse 9, in well-doing, uh, or w- while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or, or have uh, faint of heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's pretty good, pretty good instruction to the church. Shoe boxes, uh, LA or the Long Beach uh, Rescue, uh, our local ministry, our, um, you know, when we did stocking stuffing, this is all, this is great for all people, the missionaries that we support, the ministries that we support. But I think what God's trying to say, in all of that doing good to all people, don't forget about doing good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, here's a side note. Um, be praying, maybe if someone could pick up Alvin for church next Sunday. Uh, we'd be in contact, and he's feeling like he's, he's well enough to attend, and he's wanting to attend uh, the service before Christmas. So just be thinking about that. Um, maybe reach out to him and see if he needs help uh, in anything uh, like that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll consider these verses, but especially when it concerns the law of Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could gather as Christians Uh, I thank you for even the Christmas season that that family is able to uh, connect with family and friends with friends. And Lord, it's just a different time, at least in our culture, where we kind of stop and uh, think of you. And I know it's been commercialized, Lord, but for Christians, um, we we have a different perspective and we're mindful uh, and we're thankful of what you came to do. It wasn't just to be born as a cute little baby, but to be born and to live and to die for our sins and to rise again from the dead. And we thank you for the complete story, Lord Jesus, that we could celebrate it all year round, but especially during this time of the year. And so, Lord, uh, help us as Christians to even extend the meaning of Christian and the greatest gift of all this Christmas season to maybe friends and family that do not know you. And so, Lord, help us to do that in the spirit of gentleness and meekness. I pray for this message, Lord, that you would just use it to your honor and glory as we consider what you came to do as far as establishing a law for us as Christians. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three main ideas of the sanctified Christian that we've been looking at uh, a little bit in the book of Galatians, just to kind of summarize that. Um, We have seen, number one, that to be saved by grace through faith only to turn to the law causes us to fall from grace. So the Galatians were saved the right way, but sanctified the wrong way. They started by grace through faith, and then they started by faith, and then they finished it off in the flesh. And then secondly, we have seen that as we live and walk in the Spirit, we bear the fruitful life of the Spirit, life as God intended. And then thirdly, uh, we'll now see a practical outflow of this inward life and walk of someone that has yielded to the Spirit. But I think I have a quote. Um, yeah. It is just as wrong to be sanctified by works daily as it is to be justified by works initially. We are sanctified the same way we are justified by grace through faith. And that's a really, really, really good thought. Because most Christians would say, you are not justified by works. 
Well, if it's just as wrong to be justified by works, it should be equally as wrong to be uh, sanctified by works. I'll give you a verse. Uh, Colossians 2.6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you walk in him. How did you initially receive Christ Jesus the Lord? That's verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. Verse 10, he says, you are complete in him. Colossians 2.10, Colossians 2.6. So the thought is this, Galatians are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Galatians 3, 1, 2, and 3. Um, so that's kind of the point here. He's talking to a sanctified, born-again group of justified believers that have been justified by grace through faith. So let's look at kind of some practical outflow of what it means for a Christian uh, to have this uh, play out in their life on a daily basis. So first of all, let's go back to verse number one. And I think you'll see that, yeah. Anyone who falls, you who are spiritual, restore them uh, in gentleness and in meekness. These are kind of paraphrased subtitles for each verse, so you could just kind of follow along in your own Bible to get the full, the full text. But my thought is this. If anyone is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know the verse where he says, um, if anyone uh, sees a brother that has a splinter in his own eye and doesn't first pull out the, you know, the beam in his own eye and goes to him, he's a hypocrite. Do you like to be kind of um, admonished by someone that is a hypocrite? <laughs> No one does. And I'm thinking, we went to the Louisville Slugger uh, Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make the, the famous Louisville Slugger baseball bats, right? And I always thought about that. Like, man, if I had a baseball bat stuck in my eye, right? A big old Louisville Slugger in my eye, and I'm going to Brian and like, you know, you got a little problem there, bud, but I've got a Louisville Slugger in my eye. That's a hypocrite. And so he says, first pull out the problem in your own eye so that you could see clearly. So you can go to your brother and sister, but how do you do it? Well, first, don't be a hypocrite. Make sure you're, you're okay. You're good to go. You're clear in that area. And then so he says, consider yourself. And then when I do go to a brother or a sister, then I'm going to, I'm going to them in the spirit of humbleness, meekness, gentleness. Not with rocks behind my back, right? <laughs> Ready to hurl them uh, at someone. And so this is the fruit of the Spirit in action, and it looks like Jesus. Look, when Jesus found the woman caught in adultery, or when people found the woman caught in adultery, and they brought her to Jesus, the first thing he said to her was, I don't condemn you, but, but go and sin no more. I think, too, what we've done, and we've been kind of taught this way, is the Christians start by saying the opposite, by saying something like this. We will start trying to accept you if you start trying and proving that you will change first. We kind of flip-flop it. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but, don't, but go and sin no more. Why? Because sin isn't good for you, and he knows that. And God hates our sin, not for what it does to him, but what sin does for us. So, of course, he doesn't want her to keep doing it because it's bad for her. 
That's his reason. He doesn't want to see people wrapped up in things that will bring them pain and harm uh, in their relationships and stuff like that. Because the fruit of the flesh is death, but the fruit of the Spirit is life. And so he says, I don't condemn you. So I think a Christian that really is concerned about their brother and sister will kind of start the way Jesus started. Look, I don't condemn you, but I love you enough to tell you. You know, this isn't good for you. We've had to do some hard conversations over the years in the ministry. You know, and you just kind of, you kind of, you, you get not jaded, but you hear so many different situations and so many different dynamics. And um, I, I just kind of take this approach. I don't condemn you. Man, if I was in your situation, maybe I'd have done the same thing. I don't condemn you. Uh, but let's kind of look at what would be God's way in this or God's way out of this. Um, and so I think when you go in the spirit of meekness, not in the spirit of like self-righteousness, right? It's like someone that says, have you read your Bible this morning? They're not asking because they care if you really read your Bible. The only reason why they are asking you is because they read your Bible and they hoped you didn't so they could feel better about themselves, right? <laughs> they don't really care if you read the Bible. Because you think they'd ask you if you read the Bible if they didn't read the Bible that morning? They wouldn't ask you? So I think, that, I think when someone really understands, man, this person is coming with my best interest in mind, you get that. You could, you could, you could read that. Like, uh, this, I could relax. This person really genuinely cares. He's not trying to religiously one-up me or to outrighteous me right? It's not trying to, it's not because religion breeds competition and you need someone worse than you. So of course you're going to check everyone's like status all the time. It makes you feel better about yourself and your performance. But when someone knows I'm a-okay with God, I'm complete, I'm good to go, I have a hundred percent of his life in me, and I'm walking in his spirit, that is going to outflow to, to looking to people in, with the eyes of compassion and I don't condemn you. But hey, man, let me help you in this area. I don't condemn you. I just, God dealt with me with that last year. I went through that same thing. Man, isn't God's grace good? Look, there's hope for you. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's, Jesus will just navigate. Can I come alongside you? Is, can I pray with you? You want to meet once a week? What can we do, right? I think people know when you genuinely care about their spiritual well-being, it will show up the way Jesus showed up, okay? So a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian will not be looking for splinters in other people's eyes, but when they do see a brother or sister out of the way, this spirit-filled Christian will go out of their way to help them with the gentle and meek attitude the way Christ would have done it, right? Look, the good Samaritan didn't say, why are you down there, you idiot? Where's your clothes and where's all your money and why you got a why are you all beat up and bruised, you know? He didn't condemn him. He he went out of his way and he helped him. And that's what love looks like in action and that's what we look like when we're walking in the spirit. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are burdens we bear together and there's burdens that we bear alone. I already mentioned there's 11 different renderings for that in the, in the New Testament. But here God is guiding us to be like Jesus and to bear each other's burdens. This is kind of, I don't mean to be off-putting about this at all, and this might not be the best example, but just, I just had to say it. Um, I can't bear the burden of a woman being with child and being pregnant. I can't bear that burden. 
right? Do you understand what I'm saying, right? There's burdens you bear alone, and there's burdens that you bear together. But if that woman had lost that child, I could bear the burden with her in grief. Do you see what I'm saying? There's burdens we bear alone, and then there's burdens we bear together. We just had a family member lose a baby. That's maybe why I brought this up, because they've been trying and trying and trying to have a kid, and then they finally conceived, and then um, a couple months later lost the child. So I, I don't know. I can't bear the burden of, you know, what's going on with her uh, physiologically. Uh, but after that she lost the child, I could come alongside and bear the burden of that uh, tremendous loss. So, look, a person may have to bear the burden of the bad choices they've made, which maybe in turn has caused bad health in their life. Uh, but I can't, they're going to bear that burden. They have to bear that themselves, but I can come alongside them and help bear their burden as Christ would do that. And so that is fulfilling the law of Christ. And we'll, we'll circle back around to that. Verse 3, then he says, be careful not to think more highly of ourselves. So the, self, the self-sufficient person is a self-deceived person. We are all Savior-sufficient if we are living how Christ lived and how he demonstrated one of my favorite verses on this topic is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This chapter, incidentally, is a great chapter considering the ministry of life and the ministry of death. If you read this chapter in its entirety, the whole chapter, by the way, you'll see that there's the ministry of life, which is the law of Christ, and there's the ministry of death, which is the law of Moses. Read the whole chapter in context. But he starts off by saying this, if you'll show that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything uh, as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. That's a great verse. The opposite or the antithesis would be self-sufficiency. Right? How well does that work? The Pharisees were self-sufficient. They had the law. They had performance, human effort, whatever. They were self-sufficient. A lot of self-sufficient people that won't receive Christ in the world, Gentile speaking, they're doing just fine without God. Why would they need Jesus, right? They're self-sufficient. But we know that our sufficiency in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Uh, Anything good in me comes from God being in me, who is the only one that's good. My sufficiency, my life source, and how I live my life, who I live my life from, is sourced in the sufficiency of Christ, not myself. And then verse 4 of our text Examine yourselves. Why we do what we do. Perhaps we need to evaluate what we believe and why we believe it. Kind of our Sunday school lesson that we're going through. Um, But we also need to evaluate our motives. Why we're doing what we're doing. I think another thing that we need to examine also, um, we need to take an internal spiritual inventory and ask ourselves not just who we are, but whose we are. You're always going to, you're going to kind of confuse me with Dr. Seuss a lot. I know. I get stuck on these pronouns. Whose we are. We may be in church our whole life, but here's the question. Is the head of the church, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, in our life, and is he our life? Examine yourself. You say, well, I'm in church. Well, that's great. 
but is the one who started the church, right? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Was that Matthew 16, 18? The one who started the church, this whole thing that we show up on Sunday for, right? Is the head of the church in you or are we just in a building called the church? So the Bible says this to a group of Christians that were in church, but the question was, well, is the one who started church in you? So 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You should be examining, looking at yourselves to make sure that you are really Christ's. It is yourselves that you should be testing. You ought to be, you ought to know by this time that Christ Jesus is in you unless you are not real Christians at all. See, because what makes us Christian is not our morality. It's our identity. I've been around some pretty moral religious people that make Christians look not so moral, right? So it's not morality. It's not activity that makes you a Christian. A lot of people could do what we do, and they do it better. I was in Utah for like 13 years, right? 98% Mormon. They do a pretty good job at religion. Trust me, they're pretty good at it. But I'd ask them, I'd say, let me just ask you something. Is Christ in you? What are you talking about? I follow Jesus. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, is Christ in you? Because if Christ isn't in you, you're not a Christian. What makes you a Christian is Christ in you. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is not morality or, or activity. Now, for those that have Christ in you, identity from that, you should have good activity and bear the fruit of what it looks like to have Christ in you. But don't get the cart before the horse, right? So examine yourselves. Is Christ in you? Because I tell the Mormons, I'm like, look, I'll compare my works with yours any day. I, I'm out here on my own dime telling you about this. I'll compare my good works. I gave up everything to come out here to tell you this. I'm good to go with good works, but I'm not doing good works to get to heaven or to get to eternal life. I'm doing these good things because I already have Christ in me. It's Christ in me working through me that's leading me to do these things, right? So examine yourself. Is Christ in you? That's what makes you a Christian. And from that, it's he. Uh, what's Philippians 2, 14? In you, both to work and to will of his good pleasure, right? He will work out what he worked in, and that's Christ in you. And then verse 5, he says, bear your own load and burden. There are burdens that only we could uh, bear alone. We will bear the burden of death alone. It's unfortunate, but it'll happen. Unless Jesus comes back, I'm good for that too. Meet you here, there, in the air, right? He could come back. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It says to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, right? It doesn't even mention heaven. It just mentions being with the Lord. I love that. Heaven's a good place, but Jesus is better than the place. So um, we're going to bear our own burden. Death will be your own burden to bear. You'll, you'll have to bear your own burden of worry, fear, anxiety, sleepless nights. Those are things that you go through alone, right? You ever had that? You ever had that? The good news is that Jesus wants us to cast all our burdens upon him, and Christ alone can bear and will bear it 
uh, with us and for us. You know this verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. It'll be up there. You can throw the whole weight of your cares, burdens, concerns, anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. Another translation says, for he cares for you. He's personally concerned uh, for you. And so we don't have to bear the whole burden. In fact, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but, you know, from Matthew chapter 11, I think it's verse 28, 29, 30, I think, uh, where he says, come unto me, learn of me. My burden is, uh, you, you guys know the verse, right? <laughs> so Jesus' burden is light. And I remember my wife saying this, uh, I think related to this idea, or just watching people go through stuff. She's like, I don't know how people do life without Jesus. Because there's a lot of burdens that come at people. Whether you're a Christian or not, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Christians get cancer. You know that, right? Good Christians die prematurely. You know that, right? So the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But how do you handle these burdens without Jesus? That's what my wife and I talk about often. Like, how do people do life without Jesus? You know, as life comes at them, I'd rather have the eternal life in me as life squeezes me from without, I'd rather have the life within come out. Um, and so, great chapter on that, Second Corinthians chapter 4. Anyways, so bearing one another's burdens and bearing our own burden, but we don't have to bear it alone because we could cast it at the feet of Jesus. The burden that we can't bear collectively or personally, though, is the burden of sin and separation from God. That's something you can't bear alone. You will bear it alone if you don't give it to Jesus, um, and another can't bear it. The only one that can is Christ. And Christ has provided the only way of escape. He's the only one of escape and the only solution for sin and death. And that is exactly why he came and the Christmas story is here. I'll, we were there a few months ago, but in Galatians chapter 4, I'll just recap it. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, the Mosaic law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God said there's a time, there's a place, there's a person. He, he already prophetically said it uh, way well ahead of time, and he came at precisely the right time, the Christmas time, and he came to live a perfect life, to die a perfect, perfect death, to rise again, to give the perfect gift of eternal life to any and all. And, and that's something no one could bear. Jesus bore all that for us. He came to bear our sins and die so that we might live. And it's interesting that on the Christmas walk, you'll see a lot of passages from Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6, foretelling about, you know, Emmanuel or uh, uh, a son is going to be given and his name will be called Wonderful counselor. We know these verses around Christmas, but also in Isaiah is Isaiah 53. And I think I have a tag up here to turn there. If you want to turn to Isaiah 53, I was going to read the entire chapter, um, which I, if you could turn there, I don't want to read the entire chapter. I do want to read the entire chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the last two verses of Isaiah 53. Because the point that I want to make is that only Jesus can bear our sins. We're talking about bearing one another's burdens, then you have to bear your own burden. But there's burdens that others can't bear and that you can't bear that only Jesus could bear. 
and it's the burden of sin. And so at the last two verses of Isaiah 53, and you shall see the travail of a soul and shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall many righteous, uh, or shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This, this is the Christmas story. This is what he came to do, is to bear our sins. What separated us from God? Our sins. What was the problem? Sin. So why did Jesus come for Christmas? To bear the burden of sin so that we would no longer be separated from God, right? Verse 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul into death. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He was, you know, he... He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 But he was, you know, next to the two thieves, one on the right, one on the left. And he bare the sin of the world and made intercession for the transgressors. So Jesus, the sin bearer. Okay? Verse 6, if you'll go back to our text. Let them who are taught in the word share with those who teach the word. I'll just let you guys figure that out yourself. Uh, you know, you and the Lord could work on that one together. Verse 7 and 8, we're going to reap what we sow. Um, I want to say this. There's a, lot of bi- there's a lot of examples in the Bible about this, incidentally. David and Bathsheba, you know the story? The event, what happened with them, what happened with his uh, kid from that whole scenario. Uh, Jacob and, and uh, Rachel, or should I say Jacob and Leah? Remember Jacob was the deceiver? And then all of a sudden he falls in love with Rachel, and then he wants to marry her, but on his wedding night, oh guess who gets deceived? <laughs> the deceiver himself gets deceived, right? Um, I, think, I think one that was very interesting, kind of tucked away, is um, Ahab and Jezebel. They coveted Naboth's uh, vineyard, and um, long story short, uh, they killed him for it, right? They were a wicked power couple. <laughs> um, they killed him for it, and then um, the dogs ate and drank his blood, right? So God sends the prophet Elijah, and you'll re- you can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 21. God sends the prophet Elijah and says, not the very same dogs. I thought that would have been kind of cool if it was the same dogs, but he says, in the very same place, right? It would have been cooler if it was the same dogs, but whatever. Um, <laughs> in the very same place where Naboth was, uh, was killed and eaten by dogs, will, he says this, will the dogs lick your blood too? Boom. Lick your blood. This story is very near and dear to me because I had been attacked by a pit bull. I show my scars often. You know, I, I just, what, you want to see it? I pull up the, I just showed it the other day. Um, and who was I showing that to? Oh, yeah, I was Justin and Christopher. And uh, Christopher was super impressed. He's like, man, was it like ripping the flesh out or was it more of a puncture? He was getting real detailed because you could see the four, the four big puncture marks and so, long story short, though, these guys, what comes around goes around. And I think uh, God's kind of demonstrated that uh, throughout the scriptures. And then in verse 9 of our text, don't grow weary in well-doing. 
So the Lord encourages us to keep on keeping on, right? To fight the good fight of faith, to finish strong. We're to be busy about our Father's business in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when it's popular and when it's unpopular. We are to love more in a world where the Bible says the world will love less and it will get worse and worse and worse, the opposite of the law of entropy. Um, they, they, you think it's going to get better, but it actually gets worse and worse and worse, which is the law of entropy, by the way. Um, so the world's not getting better, it's getting worse, but the Bible encourages us not to grow weary in well-doing. And to illustrate this, I want to show you a poster that my wife got my daughter hanging on the, the door. You've seen that in like the, by the water fountain at the corporate place, you know, like if you're going to, you know, you, don't be a turkey if you're going to soar with the eagles, all that uh, motivational stuff. And I've seen Michael Jordan, you know, and little, he, where he, that famous jump from the free throw, uh, whatever. And he, uh, you've seen all of them, right? And, but when you see a cute little kitty hanging in there, it just reminds you, don't be weary and well-doing, right? <laughs> Keep on keeping on. Hang in there, little kitten. You're going to get there. It's all going to work out. Let me, okay, so if that doesn't motivate you, you're like, yeah, that's, that's at my place of work. Now I'm depressed because I got to go back there tomorrow. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me encourage you with what God has to say about hanging in there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved Christian, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Wednesday after Wednesday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Awana, 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 then a little girl gets saved. That's not in vain, right? Amen. So, um, why, we, why do we do what we do? We do it as unto the Lord. We do it because of the Lord. The love of Christ compels us, constrains us. And you know, before you know it, we're standing before the Lord. It seems like it's, it takes forever to get there, right? <laughs> but our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then we vanish away. Our life is a tale that's told. So just keep on keeping on with the Lord. He'll, you, when you got saved, you got batteries included. God's the dynamic of his own demand. And so he's empowering us and propelling us to go in this direction. And then he says in verse 10, let us do good. Um, but especially to the household of faith. So we're to do good to all people outside of the church and praise the Lord that we do do that. But we're also encouraged especially to remember those that are inside the church. Amen? So I want to wrap this thing up. That took a lot longer than I thought because where I really wanted to go is to the law of Christ. And this is this, I'm going to kind of cruise through this. So let's look at point one. You're like, are you serious? <laughs> These are to really be fast. Point one, Christ fulfilled the law for us. Remember what he said? Do not think that I come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. For surely I say unto you that heaven and earth, um, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle by no means will pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Now Christ fulfilled it. Christ fulfilled all of the Old Testament law, and there's nothing left for us to fulfill. In other words, he took the test and passed it with straight A's and with perfect holy righteousness, and then he gives to us as a gift 
the gift of righteousness as if we fulfilled the law, but we didn't. He did. And it is fulfilled. Now, I want to give you this quote. Tulian Chavichian said this, Jesus fulfilled all of God's holy conditions so that our relationship with God can be wholly unconditional. I love that quote. He fulfilled all of God's holy conditions so that our relationship with God can be wholly unconditional. You realize Jesus was born under the law eight days later, circumcised the eighth day according to the law. He lived under the law. He died under the law. And then he rose again and he said, I'm going to give you a new law. It's the law of Christ, right? But he lived under the law. He did the whole thing. Why? Because we couldn't do it. He had to do it for us so that our relationship now can be wholly unconditional with God. So Romans 10.4, this will be up on the screen. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Is there, if there is a way to get eternal life and to get righteousness, verily it's by the law, it says in Galatians chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, towards the end of the chapter. We already studied that out. I know it's been a while. But if there is a way to circumvent Christ and believing in Christ and trusting in what he did for us, if there is a way, God gives you an option. The law will do that. And if you do that perfectly, you will be as righteous as it takes to get in heaven. But the problem is there's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because once you start to do the law and you offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. But Jesus did the whole law and he didn't offend in one point. Therefore, he fulfilled the whole thing and he offers as a gift his righteousness if you would, if you would accept it. It's a gift. But if you don't want that gift, good luck trying to do the law that only one could do. The one that made the law, Jesus. <laughs> the law is just a holy reflection of him. He's the author. Of course he could pull it off. If he couldn't, he'd be a hypocrite. He did the whole law. Not guilty in any point. Tempted in all points, yet without sin. So um, Christ did it all for us. Secondly, Christ gave a new law to us. Galatians 5.14, just to go back a chapter, but it'll be on the screen. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Fulfilled, summed up, right? Does anyone even know all 613 of the laws in the Old Testament? Not many, right? Not many. Sometimes people have a hard time with just the 10, right? Jesus said, let me make it real simple. It's one word, one word, one word, love. It's the greatest, love. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Here's the caveat, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, how does Jesus love us? Sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally. He says, okay, look, you say, well, that's too easy. Just one word, just one command, too easy. Really? Try it. Try it. Try it. She'll love your Lord God with your whole mind, soul, and strength. You ever try that one? I only did, man, if I had a meter, that thing is not even peaking past like 35, right? It's not even coming close. I'm redlining there, you know. I got a whole 65% more to go. But how does God love? Whole mind, soul, strength. God is a 24-7, unconditional, unending, unyielding, unconditional, 
unmeriting, eternal, everlasting lover towards you all the time. That's how God loves. You can't love him back that way, right? So if you, if you think, oh, the New Testament command is so easy, really, have you considered, if you considered the weight of it to love as Jesus has loved, have you considered it? I don't even think we're scratching the surface. But that alone, that one command, can keep us busy until we go home to be with the Lord. Just take him up on it. Just try it for a week. Try it to love as God loves for a week. Just try it. New command I give to you, right? Just try it. You have the batteries. (laughs) He's given you this everlasting bunny. <laughs> That's Easter, sorry. I mean, Santa, Easter. So, um, gave a new law to us. Okay. So the royal law, this thing that Jesus gave is love. Love is found in the spirit, and the law and love is now found written in our hearts for those who have his spirit. And Romans 8 puts it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. See, Romans 6 said you're not under the law but under grace. But we're not without law. We're not under the old law, but we're under the Lord. There's a big difference. It doesn't mean we're not, we have no law. It's a different law. And we're under the Lord. We're not under the old law, but we're under the Lord. And so when you're under the Lord, what does that look like? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, that's our new law. It's spirit. It's life. What did we just read? Um, In Galatians chapter 5, it says, uh, we were reading there last week. Um, Well, you know what it is, right? Because you were were here. (laughs) But if you're led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 18 of chapter 5. And so we're not under the old law, but we're not without law. We're under the Lord. And when we're walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is going to produce love. First on the list, love. And love doesn't work ill to, the, to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So we're under the law of the life of the Spirit of Christ. He's made us free from the law of sin and death, the Mosaic one that, that could never bring life because you can't get life from rocks. For what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh, because that's all you could do is just pull it off out of your own energy. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. Here's why. That the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. As if you took the test, but you didn't. You would have failed it, and so would have I. I am going to have you turn to this passage. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8, if you would you got to see this. Because there might be some doubters. There might be some new law haters. But let's see what God has to say. He's going he's gonna to spend like chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 describing this. We're just going to hop into verse 8. But I want you to see this in verse 6. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. By how much also he is a mediator of a better testament. And it's established on better promises. Theme of the book of Hebrews. Christ is better. The New Testament's better. 
For if the first covenant had been faultless, there should have been no place to have been sought for a second. In other words, if the, if the old one could have gave you life, there wouldn't have been a need for a new one, right? Why do the Lord's Supper? If, why, why do the, the bread and the blood? If it's like the old is good enough, why do the new? That's what he's saying. For finding fault with them, because there's no fault with the Old Testament. The Old Testament points out there's a fault with us, but it can't fix the fault. It's like, when you go in an MRI machine, the MRI machine reveals the problem, but it can't fix the problem. It just reveals it. The MRI, MRI machine is not bad. It's a great, it's probably the greatest modern medical invention invented by a Baptist in New York that's been invented. He is. He's a Baptist in New York. You read about the, whoever invented the MRI machine. But it's probably the great, but it doesn't fix the problem. It only reveals the problem. Okay, so is the law. So he's saying there's no fault with the law. The law points out and it found out fault with the people that were trying to become righteous by keeping the law. And that was the point of the law. So finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, where I will make a new covenant. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out by the land. Who was that? The Jews, the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Just a few months after, after they crossed the Red Sea, they went to Mount Sinai. Boom, got the law. Um, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them into their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You know what he's not writing? Don't eat shellfish. Don't have clothes with polyester and cotton mixed. That's not, he's not writing that in your heart. You know what he's writing? Love God. Love others. That's what he's writing. So, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every one his brother, saying, know the Lord, not intellectually. You know, a lot of times when the Bible uses the word know, it's an intimate phrase of, of koinonia or oneness or fellowship. Remember, Mary did not know her husband Joseph. Well, did she know him intellectually? Yes, but she didn't know him intimately. This is eternal life, that they might know thee. And the only, you know, this is, that's John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might. So having oneness. And so he's talking this internal relationship with the one who wrote the law, the one who is the law, and now he's putting this lover inside of us. So not teach every man and every brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He's going to go on to say in chapter 4, under the old system, there's a remembrance of sin year after year after year, and that's the blood of bulls and goats. And he says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin, but Jesus did it once and for all, so that you could have a once for all all for, all for sin, forgiveness. And then he says, a new covenant. Look at verse 13. He's, he hath made the first old, and now that which is decaying and waxing old is ready to vanish away. But in many people, it's still very much alive and well and kicking. But God says, no need for it. You could learn from it. But it's not your covenant. You don't live from that. You, learn, you live from an internal testament. It's the New Testament. And it's better. It had a better priest, a better sacrifice, because it was final and forever, has better promises, eternal life. It's unconditional. Everything's better in the new. So why would you settle for that which is inferior when you would have that which is superior, which is the new covenant relationship with Christ? 
So in conclusion here, we're wrapping this up. I'll just put this up on the screen or Michael will or Adam. He, uh, Ro- Romans chapter, thir- chapter 13, yeah. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you not covet, and any other commandment. If there's any other summed up, you kind of see this whole summarizing thing, and it all comes back to this one thing, this law of Christ, this royal law, this one word, the last commandment, he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Because if we really did walk in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which is the life of Christ living through the life of the Christian, think about what Jesus would do if he was animated in and through your body. Examine yourself. Is Christ in you? Okay, if Christ is in you and you're choosing to walk in the Spirit, what would his life in you, living through you, look like? Would it look like a thief? Would he look like an adulterer? Would he look like a liar? Would he look like someone that would never step foot in church? Would he look like an ungenerous person? Would he look like someone that doesn't care about the poor and the needy? What, 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 you know, because you have the spirit. We just don't believe that, you know, we just don't trust him. But if we start to take steps in the spirit, under such there's no law, you're not following a written code, Help, help three blind people today and four deaf people. And then, you know, we're not checking off a list. We're walking in the Spirit. How did Jesus live his life? That's how he lived his life, right? He didn't heal everyone. He didn't fix all the problems. But as he listened to God, he did it in obedience. And so that's what God says. So when we do it, this is what love looks like because love is a who, not a what. And when love is living in us, through us, this is it. it looks like you're keeping the law but you're not. You're keeping the law of the life of the Spirit of Christ who's in you. That's what it looks like, right? Is this making sense? I'm ranting and raving. You're like, when's this over? We got white elephant gifts to buy. Hurry this up. Okay, I get it. Um, I'll either run into you at the dollar store or at the Goodwill here in a minute, all right? So hang in there. We're not under the law, but we're under the Lord does not look lawless. It looks like Jesus living and loving others in and through us. Love never fails, and loving others the way Christ loved us is the sum total of his entire last command. Why do you think Jesus didn't do Moses 2.0 and just like, okay, let's just kind of expand on Moses a little bit? He basically says, out with the old, in with the new. I'm going to keep it real simple. Love one another. You know the words of Jesus, right? You know, right? Does this sound foreign to anyone? Is this like, oh, you're way off, pastor. There's some other texts of the beard. What about the Apocrypha? What about? (laughs) You got the words of Jesus too. What were his last words? What was he saying to the church? I'm commanding you to do. He could have done. Does Paul expand on Moses? Or does he come to the churches of Galatia and say, whoa, 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 wait a second now. What are they telling you to do? And he was an expert, right? So let me kind of just give you the last two verses. James 2, 8. If you obey the royal law expressed by the scriptures, thou shalt love your neighbors yourself all as well. Boom. 
Good one. Bumper sticker that. Put it on the fridge. First <laughs> John 3.23, the I promise is the last one. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another just as he commanded us. Right? These are the laws. Love God, love others. Whosoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. God's the dynamic of his own demand. If he's saying love, love others and love God, he puts the resource within you to pull it off. We just need to choose to walk in the Spirit and the fruit of abiding in the vine as a branch will yield forth a love towards God and a love towards others. Amen. So let's, let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you in the sense that they've never received you into their heart, Christ is not in them. I pray today, as that little girl in Awana prayed, I pray today that they would leave here knowing um, that you are in them and they have an eternal, unending love relationship started and sustained by you. For those of us that are Christians, Lord, we get out of the way so many times. Uh, we walk after the flesh. We walk after things that are less than you. We'll even go back to Moses because it's familiar. Or we make a mess of the situation and combine the two. Help us to really be new covenant Christians and understand what it means to walk in your spirit, to walk in your life, to yield the love from your life to others. Lord, I know it was my thing, but I just pray, even me, that we would just try this command out for a week, just to love you and to love others. And uh, Lord, thank you for the Christmas season again, and I pray for our Christmas party tonight, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.